Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, the school walkout over gun violence, college prep for low-income and minority women, and learning how to slay. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Ashley Ford. Wednesday at 10 a.m., middle school, high school, and some college students and teachers across the country will stage a 17-minute walkout as a memorial to the 17 people killed last month in the shooting at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School. It's also a protest urging legislators to pass stricter gun laws. I didn't grow up in the 60s, and hardly anyone else working on the show did either. But my producer met someone recently who did. He's a New Yorker with a couple of kids living in Brooklyn, and he spoke about them. He was amazed at their tech savvy and what a person can do these days for work. He also spoke of his astonishment at a younger generation, the one being represented by about 200,000 individuals in the walkout tomorrow, who have accomplished in a few short weeks what successive Congresses have failed to do. They've moved the needle on the gun control debate. And when this man spoke about them, he smiled. It reminded him of something, the energy and purpose of protesters in the 60s. Now, these protesters may not have ended the Vietnam War. The movement kind of petered out before it did, but they did impact the civil rights debate, and significant legislation was passed because of their conviction. Now, this movement can claim victories in some states, like Florida, where gun rights politicians are shifting positions. It's going to be a long struggle, but if anyone's got time for it, it's these kids. It's their future they're fighting for. They're getting a political education at a young age, one that will hopefully enrich, empower, and activate them. In the years ahead, they'll be able to vote. But now they know they can also vote with their feet, their voices, and their time. We have one of these students who's using her voice and her time joining us today. She's a 13-year-old middle schooler at Unity Prep in Bed-Stuy, whose father was a victim of gun violence. Her name is Kavani Smith, and she took a break from her studies to join us by Skype. Hi, Kavani. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Kavani, um, can you tell me what were your thoughts when you first heard about the shooting in Florida? I actually was very upset when it happened. I wouldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that 17 students were actually harmed inside of a school when school was supposed to be a safe place. Right. Understandable. And then when you heard about the students who were speaking out about what happened in Florida, how did that make you feel? I was actually happy that you can actually, like, people were actually expressing how they felt about what happened in the school and explaining and showing people and, like, like teaching people about what was going on. Absolutely. Was there anything in particular with the students? You know, Emma Gonzalez, she gave that amazing speech. Were you able to listen to that? No. No? Were you Yeah, able? wait. I kind of watched it in class. You watched it in class? Yeah. I know that in class you guys have been doing a unit uh, for a few weeks now about gun control, right? How's that been going? Have you learned anything from that? It's actually been good, and I have got different perspectives from other people about how they feel about gun control, people who are, like, pro-gun control and, like, calm gun control. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? I actually support gun control because I actually lost my dad when I was seven years old due to a gun, and mm -hmm. that's, like, a big part of my life. 
is and that... I think no, go ahead, honey. Oh, and I think that we do need gun control so that there wouldn't be no more deaths like that. Right. Is that part of the reason why you want to participate in the walkout? Yes. Yeah? Talk to me about the walkout. How's it going to work at your school? Well, at my school, we created different posters. Like, after school, we came and created different posters about gun control and how mm -hmm. we feel. We made messages from scratch and stuff like that. And I guess at 10 o'clock, each grade, 6, 7, and 8, where we're leaving now at 10 o'clock to walk around the block and sing, well, not sing, but say different things and protest about how we actually feel about gun control and what happened to the 17 students in Florida. Does it make you feel, Kavani, maybe a little more powerful that this is something that you get to participate in and that you get to share your voice on this issue? Yes, because not a lot of people speak up. Maybe they're scared, but I think that people should speak up more about how they feel about certain things and not just be quiet. And I think that I think that I am actually proud of myself because I am actually scared. But I'm actually proud of myself that I can actually speak up and tell how I feel to different people and explain more and teach others about what's going on. Yeah, I'm proud of you, too. Can you tell me what it's been like to talk with your friends or your classmates about gun control, some of their perspectives or how they're feeling about this as well? Other people in my school actually lost parents and stuff and family members to guns. And I think that is like a very important topic in my school and especially in my environment because we live in Bed-Stuy. Mm -hmm. And it happens often around here. And I think that we need to speak about it more so we can actually be safe and aware of what's going on. I agree with you. How does it feel to be part of a larger movement? Because, you know, it's your school, it's, you know, these kids in Parkland, it's these kids in Florida, but this is going to be, like, nationwide, that kids are walking out and doing this. Does that make you feel more connected to the community of students and community of kids? Yes, and I think that all the students, like, worldwide that's participating in this is actually, like, I think that they're actually good people and stuff like that because they're actually supporting the uh, people that who are actually harmed and stuff and we're actually speaking up for the family members or people that actually lost loved ones but not able to speak up for themselves. And I think that it's a good idea that people around me are actually participating in this walkout for school to encourage others to speak up and to, to inform others about what's going on. Do you think the walkout might change something for you guys? Yes, and I think that it can make others aware of, like, I even said this already, but it should make others aware of what's going on. And I think that the walkout is, like, a very important thing to me because it helps me express how I feel, and I guess it can help other people express how they feel about it, too. Kavani, thank you so much for this conversation. I can't tell you how important it is and how flattered I am that you came on the show to talk about this. Your perspective is invaluable. You're the future. Please keep going. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Also on the show today, helping low-income minority women get into college and a book dedicated to black style and fashion. But first, a few things. Governor Andrew Cuomo visited some NYCHA residences in the Bronx on Monday, learned about the bugs and the mold problem in city housing. That's on top of the heating problem and the lead problem, and said he's considering declaring a state of emergency. This move would allow him to replace the management of the beleaguered authority. 
Mayor de Blasio countered that we don't need a state of emergency, that the city just needs the $200 million owed to the housing authority by Albany. When will those guys ever get along? More than 1,000 people marched yesterday in Park Slope, demanding safer streets. This was in response to a tragic accident in the neighborhood last week, where a one-year-old and four-year-old were killed by a driver who ran a red light. Many local polls turned up, but Mayor de Blasio, whose signature Vision Zero Safe Streets plan is being assailed, was absent. We're going to talk about traffic calming next week and what can and should be done with the borough's most dangerous intersections. Though we should note, in the four years since the introduction of Vision Zero, pedestrian fatalities are down 45 percent, meaning 83 fewer deaths in 2017 compared to 2013. And what's with all the vacant storefronts on Vanderbilt Avenue? What used to be one of the more robust commercial corridors is surprisingly inactive, and it didn't go unnoticed by Brooklyner.com. Some stores are in flux. Some are dealing with renovation, upgrades or repairs after fires. And some still seem to be up for grabs. In total, the website counted 10 shuttered stores. At least we're happy to report that the location once housing Empire Mayonnaise, that indispensable artisanal condiment purveyor, has a new tenant. Well, I shouldn't say new. The Brooklyn Watch Shop has been in place just over a year. Now the question is, are watches less likely to go bad than Mayo? I'm guessing so. Stay tuned for our upcoming guests. Historically, blacks have been less likely to attend college than whites or Asians, as a percentage of those who graduate high school. Same for kids in low-income families versus those who come from higher-income families. To try to close that gap in the city, at least for young women, the Brooklyn YWCA has developed the Young Women's College Access and Leadership Development Program. To tell us more about it, we have Danielle Gindo, the Chief Program Officer. Thanks for joining us on 112BK, Danielle. So tell me a little bit about the program. What are you seeing so far at the YWCA? We have seen a tremendous number of young women of color who have come through our doors and found a home there. Mm -hmm. And they've come because they're motivated, high potential, but low income and under-resourced. Mm -hmm. um, they tell us they want to go to college. Mm -hmm. They have no idea how to do it. And we created this program as a comprehensive network supports, network mm -hmm. of supports, to help them get there. Mm -hmm. Why women of color? I have to know that. Well, persistent gender, racial, and class inequity exists, mm -hmm. especially in this borough in particular. Right. And YWCA Brooklyn, as a social justice organization, addresses inequities at the intersection of gender, race, and class. Mm -hmm. And so um, young women of color in particular, um, when we're talking about educational inequity, are experiencing um, severe disparities when it comes to um, disciplinary practice in schools, when it comes to access to opportunity um, and access to quality education. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we know that in order to empower young women of color, we need to in increase their opportunity to access and harness their full potential. So how are you doing that? How are you addressing that specifically? So great question. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I think it's it's important to note that the the program was developed, the model was developed with the direct input of young women themselves. Right. And so the five components that make up the program speak to all the things that we heard directly from young people they need to achieve. I need to know what the five components are. What are Here they? They are. Um, so it start the 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 main piece, the pinnacle of the program is academic mm -hmm. support. And so we provide tutoring and test prep. Um, for the stu for all the students in our program, mm -hmm. and the fact of the matter is that you know white affluent communities have more access and and ability to take advantage of that kind of support to right. get to college, right. and so the second component is um, college application support and assistance, mm -hmm. college inquiry, college exploration. Mm -hmm. um, the third is economic empowerment, and so that includes career exposure, opportunities to meet professional role models of color, and also paid internships. So we employ, over the past two years, we've employed nearly 20 young women, um, wow. either in our organization or in partner organizations, so they could gain valuable work experience. Right. Um, the other um, pieces, which you know are really critical to um, building a cadre of young leaders is this leadership development component. And that piece incorporates not only um, building efficacy and self-confidence and problem-solving skills, but also opportunities to be involved in civic engagement right. and youth advocacy. And the fifth component is family engagement. So we believe very strongly that we need to work with mm -hmm. families as partners in helping their daughters get to college so they understand the process. Navigating it is hard in the best of, of situations, mm -hmm. um, and for most of our families who are first generation to college, who are very often new to the country, right. all are low income and struggling in some ways, this is our way of being able to hold their hands and provide the support they need to help their daughters get there. Right. And I keep hearing you talking about getting there, you know, getting to mm -hmm. college. And mm -hmm. as a person who was, you know, one of the first to go to college in my mm -hmm. own family, uh, one of the things that I think about a lot is that even though you can get to college, at times it's really hard to reach the end. I'm actually okay. still working on that. Like, mm -hmm. I had to take a break. Mm -hmm. I'm just now going back to finish my last two classes to get my yeah. degree. I wasn't able to finish, mostly based on financial reasons. Absolutely. So, what do we need to be doing or thinking about or talking to these girls about, not just about how to get to college, yeah. but also how to follow through, how, how to, to complete? So we're at a really exciting time in the development of our program because mm -hmm. our very first graduates are now freshmen in college. And so just the way that group helped us inform how we created the model for mm -hmm. success for um, the high school component, we are building an alumni um, council essentially nice. where we're directly getting feedback in real time about cool. what they need to support them to and through college um, wow. and so some of the things that we're hearing of course there's certainly concerns around financial um, financial aid and financial support and one of the things that we've been able to do with our team is provide um, access to and resources and referrals for any kind of scholarships that we can find that they would be eligible for mm -hmm. and also continuing to um, provide you know recommendations and referrals for financial aid opportunities on their individual campuses right. the other things that we've seen that have been challenging for our freshmen have been um, more outward racist um, experiences mm -hmm. than we could have expected and we knew that that was going to happen mm -hmm. um, and we did 
what we thought we could to prepare them for that, but we know now that um, part of the leadership development component for the younger cohorts is going to have to involve a lot more preparation and understanding about how to navigate um, anti-racist conversations on campus when they get there. So how do you prepare somebody yeah. for something like that? That is yeah. something, you know, I came from a high school that was about 95% black. I ended yeah. up going to a college that was closer to 95% white. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was a huge culture shock Absolutely. for me. I remember at the end of my first semester calling yeah. home and saying, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know yeah. if I can stay here. Yeah. Nobody gets me. Yeah. How do you even begin to address that for yeah. an 18-year-old? And it's it's incredible to hear you say that because that is exactly what's happening. And mm -hmm. um, most of the young women who attend our program attend schools where it's a predominantly black or Latino student population. Mm -hmm. And so they also live in communities that are predominantly black and Latino communities. Right. And so like you had described your own experience, getting to campus is a culture shock. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that makes our program throughout the years of their involvement so unique is that we're building a sisterhood. Mm -hmm. and a sisterhood of support. And what we've been able to do, at least with this first group that has graduated, is is foster the foster the continuation of that network so that they all continue to have one another. And social media is a terrific way to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we've been able to, to build in those um, strategies where they can continue to connect with one another. And the other ways is when they're home, and we've done this most recently during Christmas and, and the holiday break, um, is build in workshops and trainings around navigating racism on campus, very directly right. naming it, um, anti-racist work, um, um, understanding ways to um, provide more um, recommendations in those spaces and feeling the power of their voice right. in those spaces. That's very important. Um, that and situation. also accessing any of the, the networks on campus. So if mm -hmm. they couldn't find it on their own, we're helping them find, um, a lot of them are able to do it as well, right. helping them find you know, the Black Student Union, um, any you know, opportunities to connect with other students who yes. you know, are from similar communities, mm -hmm. um, which are ways in which we've been able to kind of continue to support them during this difficult transition. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a whole lot. And then it also makes me wonder, you know, that that's a lot of resource. That's a lot of time to yeah. be putting into these girls. And sure I love is. that because they, they're worth it. Yeah. And a lot of these girls don't know that they're worth that kind of yeah. time and, 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 and care. Yeah. Uh, but why does this specific project matter? One of the things mm -hmm. that um, people ask a lot, especially when it comes to college, is, is college the only way out? Is it the yeah. only way up? Yeah. Like, is this actually helpful for people who are in this situation? You know, you think about class transition, you yeah. think about, you know, even in some cases a sort of, like, tribalism. I know that going to college for me Absolutely. sort of felt like I was, even if I was headed to a better life, I was losing my tribe. Yeah. How do you deal with that with yeah. these girls? Well, the fact of the matter is we're still, um, in, in our society, if you don't have a college education, you're going to earn 50% less than someone who does. Right. And so, you know, we're actually specifically focused on helping the young women in our program get to four-year colleges mm -hmm. because we know that that is, to and through four-year colleges, right. we know that that is by and large a prerequisite for economic uh, stability right. and, and economic empowerment, which is a main right. focus of our work. Um, and so, you know, in, in doing that, um, I think that... I'm sorry, I lost the train of thought. No, that's okay, that's okay. I actually, I have what another question, question? Yeah. last question real yeah. quick. Can you tell me about any upcoming deadlines? 
Yes, I can. Um, and so through the end of March, mm -hmm. we are accepting applications from freshmen and sophomore in high school mm -hmm. to be a part of our YW LEAD program. That's the name of the program, Leadership, Fantastic. Empowerment, Academic Development. And by submitting your applications, you will be um, eligible for, to participate in the full range of five components of the program, including wow. free SAT prep. That's fantastic. Yep. That's fantastic. I hope you get a lot of people signing up. Thank you so much for being here. I really Thank appreciate it. Thank you for having it. me. From Miles Davis to Michelle Obama, the fashion and style of black icons from the past four decades have indelibly influenced mainstream popular culture. And a new book, How to Slay, celebrates these trendsetters with lavish images and an examination of the cultural underpinnings that were their influence. The book hits the hats, the hair, the divas, and the beauty of black skin. Here to tell us more is How to Slay's author, Constance White. Constance, thank you so much for joining us. It is my pleasure. Today. Thank I'm you. I'm so happy to have you here and looking amazing. Oh, How dare you, you come on my show and stun on me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> what it's made Slay Day. You, it's Slay Day. What made you want to put this book together? You know, I looked at the way that fashion was being influenced by the black community, by black culture, and I said, you know what, there's something here that hasn't been documented enough. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to bring that to the fore, and that was my major inspiration. As a fashion editor, I've had the opportunity to see so many of the masters at work, mm -hmm. women and men, who are creating fashion, and they're creating it as designers, as stylists, and right. I see where they're using the African diaspora as inspiration. Yes. And so I wanted to say, hey, you know what, that's interesting. Let's put that into a book. Let's give credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. And also let's entertain and let's inform. Did it shock you that there was not already a book like this out yes, there somewhere? Yes, it did. Yes. It did shock me. And I hope that there will be many more How to Slays. Yes, <laughs> I hope so, too. We need more. What? Was there an individual artist who inspired you, not just in the making of this book, but also in your career? You know, generally, I have been inspired by so many men and women, mm -hmm. and some of them are well-known and, and others are not. So mm -hmm. it could be everyone from my mother, who right. was not well-known, who was a registered nurse and a mother, mm -hmm. and, and obviously she was a daughter and she was a sister. Right. And also someone well-known, like Cicely Tyson, Diana yes. Ross, Rita Marley, mm. have all been influences. My God, and I love that because I, I do feel like, especially in the black community, our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunties, like those are our first fashion icons. Like they those are. are the first people who, like, the, if we slay, it's we were taught by them. Like we were that's what we by learned. Them. They were an inspiration, and they mm -hmm. were also, I think, what's so important um, to your point, Ashley, in the mm -hmm. black community is. Our mothers are affirmations yes. of, of our beauty and our style and yes. our being in the right. world. And you have so many people in there. Like, you have yeah. Miles Davis, Pharrell, Michelle, like, so many amazing looks, They're, so many amazing people. What yes. kind of evolution have you seen over the years as it pertains to how black folks have been able to express themselves through fashion? Yes. One of the main things that I've seen happening is how we've taken 
what is really germane mm -hmm. to black style, which is from the continent, countries like Ghana, South Africa, Ethiopia, which mm -hmm. we were just talking about, with yes. your wonderful, beautiful necklace made from paper, but it appears to be beads. Yes. I mean, the incredible talent and inspiration. We've taken that and woven it through our Western expression and our mm -hmm. Western lives. And I see that happening apace these days. Like, mm -hmm. it's been ever-present, but we're seeing it more and more. And perhaps it's because we're now in the digital age, for one right. thing. Right. And so information and inspiration can it spread. It all moves faster. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's very affirming. You know, I remember getting on Tumblr and seeing, you know, a lot of black young women uh, styled and expressing themselves in ways that I had never seen before, yes. especially when I was yes. based in right. the middle of the country in Indiana. You know, like, these were just clothes that I didn't see. These were images that I never saw, which makes me wonder, you know, because that's kind of where my mind still is, yes. to be perfectly honest, is like in like a 2008 Tumblr mm -hmm. situation. Yes. <laughs> but what are some of the biggest trends happening right now? Right now we're seeing a lot of interest in fur. Mm. Fur worked in different ways. Fur, fake fur, real fur. Mm -hmm. Fur used, um, not only worked in different ways, but used in different ways, which are two different things. Right. So for example, you think of a fur coat. Yes, there are these incredible fur jackets, fur mm -hmm. coats. However, you also see fur on a pair of sports slippers, right? You do. So you it's do. pretty incredible. Fur as a trim on a hem. Fur as a pom-pom to accessorize your bag. Right. So it's really inventive, the way that yeah. we use fur. And then high boots. Yes. That's a major trend. And a third one I would mention is denim. Oh, yeah. Denim's every, having the mm -hmm. denim jacket right now is so ubiquitous that, like, I keep everybody, all of the brands and everything, uh -huh. everybody's coming out with those pins that you can put into, like, your, into denim, jacket your denim jacket. Because yeah. the denim jacket right. is the thing right now. It is. So you so, could pop it over something expected, such as your black pants or your leggings, right. but also unexpected over your long dress. Mm -hmm. Right? There's a denim jacket, too. Right. You've actually had a long and, like, amazing career in this space. Thank I, you. My first—I went to college my first major being—I ended up completing a different major, but my first major was fashion merchandising. Oh, was it? It was. Um, I was a double major in apparel design and fashion merchandising. Whoa, okay. Uh, one of the reasons, to be perfectly honest, why I did not complete that uh, mm -hmm. program is because I was the only person of color in the program. Oh, so I'm yes. wondering—there are a lot of people and a lot of young people who want to get into the fashion business. Right. Do you have some advice for them, you know, or just in navigating this industry? Right. The first thing I would say, Ashley, for someone trying to get into the industry, and also speaking to your point of mm -hmm. being out in the Midwest, not on one of the coasts, mm -hmm. let's say, is this idea of seek information first. Because a lot of times I'll get calls from people or emails, mm -hmm. and people refer people to me, kids to me, and they've gone and they've majored in something else other than fashion. Right. And so, you know, I then have to say to them, well, you ideally, you have some catch-up to do. Ideally, you go back, perhaps, and go, another, go and do another degree mm -hmm. or go and do a certificate. But, you know, doing a, a degree, let's say, in engineering, mm -hmm. isn't going to cut it to make your way into fashion. So that's right. the first thing, is like research and think about something that's related to fashion as your college degree right. if you're in high school and if you're heading that way. Mm -hmm. Second thing is I'm a big believer in internships. Once you've passed that mm -hmm. point, you have your degree, you've done some post-secondary right. work, 
yes. and get an internship. Get an internship. So the book is called How to Slay, and people can pick it up on Amazon. Amazon, Target, Urban Outfitters. Fantastic. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're out of time. I feel like I could ask you a million and five more questions. I could talk to you a lot more. Hopefully, we'll it's have you back fun. soon and keep continuing the conversation. Thank you Thank so you. much for being here. You're Constance. welcome. Thank you. And slay. Keep slaying slay. people. Keep slaying. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Tomorrow, we'll be back to talk Fury, the Brooklyn-based women-led organization fighting for racial and economic equality. We'll also have Brooklyn Magazine's editor-in-chief, Yadon Israel, and art from Española. Hope you'll come on back. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargi, Emily Bogosian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Hobbesack, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.